Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. This is our uh, fifth or sixth year of doing this. It's certainly not Aces Radio, but we try our best. We being myself, Michael A. Race, uh, uh, with our fine crew beat writer, Jacob Myers, and of course the striker, Kyle Robertson. Uh, This is our uh, quote-unquote preview edition, I guess you'd call it. uh, The crew last year uh, won the MLS Cup, so... Uh, Dame Fortune did smile upon them. They looked very good heading into the summer, a weird summer in the COVID bubble in Orlando. They won their three uh, group stage games in the MLS back tournament, lost to Minnesota on penalties in the knockout stage, played pretty well despite uh, some key (laughs) injuries over an altered regular season, finished third in the East, 41 points, 1.78 points per game, 12, six and five record. Um, Got some interesting breaks in the playoffs. Uh, they wound up playing uh, uh, all four of their postseason matches at home, including the Cup. Three tight games, and then they became uh, the first team to win uh, by three goals in the MLS Cup championship game. And now, Jacob, uh, we're looking at a, after a, what was a dicey kind of season where uh, you could see the potential Uh, by the end of it, you see the potential realized around the top of the mountain. And now, Jacob, they are a certified monster in this league. Yeah, I think, you know, just looking at the predictions that have come out from those people who uh, work at the league site, they have them either first or second. I think most people pick the crew to finish first in the East. I I don't know how you don't put them among the top three teams who – uh, have the potential to make MLS Cup again. Obviously, we've talked a ton about how they've gotten even deeper from last year's team, and and I think there were actually some holes exposed last year that they have gone out and, and fill in the offseason with Bradley Wright Phillips, got an extra winger, and Kevin Molino, and even like a Perry Kitchen in the midfield. That was, I thought, a very important spot that they filled. Then they're getting people like Vita Wormhor. We'll, we'll see how uh, how he progresses back from injury. Artur has been out with injury as well, so he's recovering from off-season hernia surgery. But, yeah, this is a very deep group, and I, I think I talked a bit with Caleb Porter about this, and uh, those listening to this podcast will will hear it at the end of uh, end of this segment and the interview I had with him, just of them having to weather the storm a little bit this year with the expectations and teams that come off of MLS Cup often struggle at the beginning of the year. So, with such a compacted schedule, I'm curious how well they kind of handle that. But uh, with, with all that being said, what, whatever they end up doing the beginning of the year, I, I don't think they'll be at, I guess, peak performance that I expect them to be at maybe by the time the stadium opens in July. All right, Kyle, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to the schedule or at least. Uh, we'll, might as well cover that now. Um, they open uh, Thursday the 8th, uh, and today is uh, – what is today, guys? I have to look at my watch. It's Tuesday the 6th, so two days hence. Uh, 
uh, as we record this uh, in the morning of the 6th. On the 8th, they open in Managua um, in the Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League, against Real Esteli. Um, that's an 8 o'clock game. Jacob, any idea how people can see that match? It'll be on FS1 yeah, and 2-day okay. NA. And then Thursday, the 15th, so a week later, they're home against Real Esteli in the second leg uh, of that uh, CONCACAF Champions League match. Uh, and that's at the historic Crew Stadium, as they're calling it now, at uh, 8 p.m. Um, uh, I kind of like historic Crew Stadium. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Their regular season gets underway on Sunday, April 15th. Um, home versus Philadelphia, the Supporter Shield winners uh, of uh, last season. That's a 5.30 p.m. game at uh, Crew Stadium. And then their first road game is the 1st of May, a Saturday. May Day in Montreal at, at 3 p.m. Kyle, uh, Jacob just uh, alluded to the uh, strength of these defending champions. Um, I ask you, with um, Zella Ryan at the 10 and uh, Kevin Molino on one, one wing and uh, Pedro Santos on the other and, and Zardis up top, um, is there... Is there a better foursome up front anywhere in the league? No, I think I think they. I mean, they brought pretty much every. I mean, they brought everyone back from last year, and they added to to the team. I mean, I think this crew team is in uncharted waters, as as in they have the targets on their back, probably for the first time in the history of the team. Um, you know, they well they, since two thousand nine. Yeah, but I mean, I'm saying like they've doubled down on the roster. They've added more people. I mean, I, I think the two thousand nine team. I mean. I think that's you know, a fair point. The coach was gone. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I think that this will, this will be a, a completely different, you know, everyone's going to be gunning for them. They're not going to be kind of lurking in the waters, kind of waiting for their opportunity. You know, everyone's going to be playing their, you know, their best game uh, against them. And, you know, they, they, they've taken the depth that they had last year, which we talked about many, many times about, you know, Last year's team was probably the deepest team they they've ever had, and they've only expanded it. They've gotten younger, they've gotten more experience, they've gotten a backup strike. I mean, there are so many things that they did to basically say, "Let's run it back." And I think for crew fans, you have to be extremely excited that you know th- that they're going to try to defend their championship and go for it, and you know try to win as many trophies, you know, even outside the MLS as they can this year. Jacob. Uh- if uh, Lucas Zellerayan was uh, the best player during the playoffs last year, uh, obviously extraordinary performance in the championship game. Kevin Molino might have been the second best player uh, during those playoffs. So Molino, Zellerayan, Santos uh, uh, with Zardes up top. Um, how will the substitutions work in those four positions? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because MLS just came out with some updated guidance on the substitutions yesterday. They're part of the FIFA I, I guess, initiative I ha- program. I was, ha- I was happy to bring it up, Jacob. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did. The teams are allowed two additional substitutes for uh, concussions now so they can have 
uh, I guess, up to seven uh, substitutes now because they're extending that rule from the 2020 season of allowing five different uh, substitutions in three windows, not including halftime. So I, I guess a, a good kind of progressive change for the league there and uh, just giving some incentive to taking players off if they have a head injury. But I, I think Porter can be very liberal with his substitutions, uh, unlike he has been in the past. Like I had mentioned, just with Perry Kitchen in the midfield, for example, and I wrote about this for today, in 2019, he had Will Trap Artur and then brought in David Guzman, who did not play very well, and they didn't really have any other option in, in the midfield there. Last year, get, gets Nagby, obviously huge upgrade, but behind Nagby and Artur were two homegrowns and Aiden Morris and Sebastian Burhalter, both of which played well at times, but were still obviously 19-year-olds. This year, they Sebastian Burhalter goes on loan to Austin, but Aiden Morris is a more proven player for what he did in the MLS Cup in place in Agby, but they get a guy like Perry Kitchen who clearly has a ton of MLS experience, fills that role, and I think they have that across the board with guys like Kevin Molino. Uh, Derek was a great signing for them last year. That's a player who I think will come on a lot, uh, and they have a ton of options at that winger spot, which I've also written about with Alex Maton. So, and expect Jossie Zardes not to play a full 90 almost every time he starts to, because they have Bradley Wright Phillips. So the, the one question I guess I have just with the depth of their roster is at both outside back positions, Marlon Harrison brought in to back up Harrison awful. That's a big question mark. Porter's confident that Harrison can make that adjustment. We'll see more. So I have a question at left back because I don't think, well, it's obvious Waylon Francis is not at the level he was at in 2015. I think he's probably like a borderline MLS player at this point, and they just have those two guys at left back and Harrison and awful at right back. So uh, that I guess that's what you're kind of looking at, but there are a lot of options he has off the bench, proven options that I don't think he has had in his first two seasons in Columbus. Okay, I'll throw the same question at you, Kyle, since uh... – uh, he dropped back into the midfield because he's a defensive-minded sports writer. Uh, we'll stay up front with the striker. Um, how is that rotation going to work uh, on the wings uh, in the middle with the ten? Um, does Matan play there, uh, and 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 who's backing up Zardes? Obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips is right. there, but he's not the only option. Yeah. No, I mean I think he, with Bradley Wright Phillips, you have options. I mean, if if you need goals, you could you know I'd like to see him at times put both of them out there and, you know, and give a different option late in the game where you, you know, you desperately need a, you know, for a tie or even, you know, for other situations. But I mean, they they have so much depth up front and uh, we talked okay. about this in the last podcast, uh, but I, like you, you play the guys, you, you, you play who who's playing good. And if you're not playing well, you, you, you right. know, you switch out somebody else. All right. Let's, let's go back to Jacobs here. Let's simplify it. I was speaking of the top, of the of the four players up top. Who's backing up Molino on the left wing, Jacob? Well, I think you would probably play him on the right wing, and yeah. that would be Luis Diaz, and then Pedro starts on the left, and Derek Etienne is the backup there. Okay, and Zella Ryan, starter at the ten with Matan there in the middle, who will occasionally play wing at times. Tell us about Matan. He's a recent acquisition. Yeah, I haven't watched him at all yet. I think some people had watched him in the U21 Euro Championships, which I guess he impressed quite a bit. I know the crew 
tweeted out a, a highlight of him scoring in that tournament. So what what I know about him is just what I read and what Vesbachenko and Porter have said about him. He's a pretty crafty technical player, smaller player, uh, looks a similar build to Matrizo with NYCFC, got that uh, nice Romanian gene in him, kind of short, technical, on the ball, uh, good good right foot. So this is a, a bit of, not a project, but certainly a long-term investment, And but he'll get plenty of plenty of run this year. How long is Artur out and is Aiden Morris the obvious uh, starter uh, uh, when, when they get underway here? It's So I think more first on Artur, I guess, is he said he might miss the first couple games and he didn't play in a preseason game, I believe, or at least he didn't play in any up until the final one against Toronto. So I think he might miss the first couple games. And if you're asking me, I think it's more important that for Porter to have Artur healthy by the 18th, by the start of the season. So if if he misses the first couple, doesn't play till May. Again, they have like a whole week break until uh, the second MLS game in May, May 1st. So he might miss the opening. And I think Morris probably plays there at the eight. He seems like a more natural eight than, uh, I guess, Perry Kitchen. But I expect those two to have very similar playing time this year, I, I guess, when you when you look at it at the end of the year. And and Kitchen would be the guy who would uh, spell Nagy or, or or step in for him. Yeah, and it's important to know that that sits in the eight position, and I talked with Perry Kitchen about this a little bit before. Unlike what he experienced with LA Galaxy, he said under Porter system, the six and the eight kind of rotate out, and we've seen that a lot. Like Nagby's has good – he can play a 10 if you need to. So I, I think Kitchen will get in there at, at the six more naturally, but – I wouldn't be surprised to see him fill that spot yeah. for Artur either. And I don't necessarily think that would be a disservice at all to like kind of not getting Aiden Morris the playing time and experience he needs. Yeah. I think both of those are good options off the bench. Oh, he was incredible in the championship game, young Aiden Morris. Um, you, you, you mentioned, uh, Jacob, the outside backs. We kind of covered that territory. Uh, going to the back line now, the central midfielders, or excuse me, central defenders, um, Vito Warmhor. He had surgery last year. What's his status, and uh, will it will we be seeing who will be seeing there, and uh, uh, and on the other side uh, with with Jonathan Mensa? Vito did not play in a preseason game, and I haven't talked to him in, since I believe December around Christmas time when he was back in the Netherlands. But he didn't sound like he was worried at all about kind of missing the first few games if he had to. Caleb Porter said that he was a little bit behind our tour at least indicated that and that ankle just he hasn't worked on it at all in seven months so it's going to take some time so he might miss the first few games if that's the case it'll probably be josh williams again starting next to jonathan mensa and then either abubakar keda or grant lillard who didn't play at all when he came over from inner miami uh, will be the backups there okay Eloy room uh, Kyle, um, and they did make a change uh, at the backup, uh, at the keeper position. Yeah, you got Evan Bush, the the Ohio guy, right? Yeah. Yep. Very experienced That's player. <laughs> I'll, I'll fill in where he can. Yeah. Very, very experienced player. I, I think yeah. you would be tough to find another backup goalie around the league that's, uh, I guess, as, as quality as him. He's got 184 appearances and a lot of uh, CONCACAF Champions League experience as well. So if they want to throw him in there, they can. And Aloy Room will be out at some points for international duty. So a good number two option there. Then it's 
uh, Matt Lampson as the no- number three. They have uh, number four keeper in Eric Dick, who was picked in the reentry draft. He will likely be loaned out uh, to a USL team, is is my guess. But going back to that forward position, I feel like they still need a number three option. Maybe they want to see what Miguel Berry, their first round pick right. in 2020, right. does there. But it, it's really just Jossie and uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, which of course you can do uh, way worse at. So yeah. I, I think they're okay there, but I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if they add another uh, backup striker. Kyle, how old are you? And are you on the other side of your prime? <laughs> 38. And yes, I'm on the other side of my oh, prime. That's a true so. fact. Uh, Jacob, very quickly, you mentioned uh, how compressed the schedule will be. Can you quantify that for us? Yeah, they have nine midweek games, I believe. Maybe it's 10, but it's one less, like kind of three games in eight or nine day window, which could expand if they advance in Champions League. So they'll have about 10 uh, compressed windows there, which certainly will be challenging, but I think they have the the depth to navigate it. Okay. I want to touch quickly on uh, we need to do. I want to touch quickly on F- FC Cincinnati. Are they FC Cincinnati or Cincinnati FC, Kyle? I think, yeah, they're FCC. They're named after a federal agency. Um, they they did nothing last year. Uh, um, you know, they, they could, I think they scored 12 goals. Um, different look for them this year uh, under the coach that took over, Jacob, uh, in the middle of last season. How are they going to be, and what's that derby going to look like? I think anyone who wants to read up on FC Cincinnati, follow Patrick Brennan, our uh, compatriot at the Cincinnati Enquirer. Well, they got a num- they got a number ten now. Yeah, they went and acquired Lucho Acosta. Yep, and they have a number nine and Brenner yeah. from yeah. Brazil, a young player uh, who the, the Athletic did some Please. good work on how the. Um, the Cincinnati had this video when he signed with Cincinnati. It said like. He basically chose FCC over PSG and some other clubs, and that Barcelona. that wasn't really accurate. Uh, but I think he's and like like Barca and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think cool. he's a player that will immediately be one of the most watched and um, players players in this league, and probably get a lot of uh, I guess criticism when like Chassi, any game he doesn't score, it'll be criticized. But they, they have the pieces. I thought they added a lot of good pieces last year that ended up not working. But uh, second full year under a new coach, or I guess first full year really under a new coach. So I, I think if you're a Cincy fan, you're probably looking up a bit. But uh, I guess the, the proof will be in the pudding. Kyle, what, was, uh, what name did you go by when you were a young Brazilian one-name striker? Robbie. Uh, actually, it was the headhunter. <laughs> That doesn't I, sound I, very good. That sounds like a Tom Wilson esque. I, I, I don't even want to know. I scored um, a lot, a lot of goals off crosses and corner kicks back in the day, so I got um, the nickname the headhunter. Okay, we'll, we'll have to take that without without any anything to back it up. We'll have to accept what you say. Um, Cincinnati has a new stadium opening this season, later season, uh, West End Stadium. By all accounts, it, it looks lovely. Um, Austin, too, has a new stadium open as they entered, entered their first year in the league as an expansion team. Um, you know, they went out and got Alex Rings, kind of that uh, 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 
kind of that Nashville pattern. Let's uh, let's 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 yeah, uh, MLS settle, guys. Yeah, let's yeah. let's settle things things down with uh, with a competent midfielder with a lot of experience. Um, and, and we'll see. They are well run. I mean, um, uh, Claudio Rania is their sporting director, and of course, uh, old friend Josh Wolf is, is is running the technical side of the operation. Um, you know, as much as as much as we want to hate him, uh, uh, it looks like um, the the dopes at the uh, top of that organization are staying out of the technical side. So we'll see how they do, and we'll see what their stadium looks like too. Now they are playing um, the Crew this year, uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, when is that, and where is that? Yeah, it's June twenty seventh in Austin. Actually, three straight games because uh, I'll be going to the Austin game. I get at Austin, then home the next weekend for New Crew Stadium, then Wednesday at West End Stadium. So three new stadiums in a row, kind of an exciting stretch of the schedule for me. I should stipulate I don't hate Austin, and Crew fans, is they're, they're, I guess, I, can I certainly hate them, but uh, I guess they're, I've, from conversations I've had with fans, it's all been about just the ownership. And actually, I talked to Caleb Porter about that rivalry, so listen to that answer. But it's so different than the FC Cincinnati rivalry, right? Because it's all about the ownership and not really about the team. You know, after what these fans went through, I'll, I'll let them hate anything they want about Austin, including the queso, right, Kyle? I agree. Yeah. You know, they can, they're entitled. Or the color green. Well, anyway, Austin FC, are they FC? They are FC. All right. And they have the tree that they stole from TIFO at Crew Stadium as their logo now. So, you know, good on them. Gentlemen, and I'll throw this to Kyle first. And we, we started, we touched on this at the top of the show. We have to wrap here in a couple minutes to, to fit the interview with Caleb Porter and with, with Jacob. But, you know, I think I want to know whether there's a chance they can become the first MLS team to win the, the uh, CONCACAF Champions League um, and what their chances are of repeating. It's difficult to repeat in this league. I think it's been about 10 years since the Galaxy repeated. So, Kyle, I'll throw that to you first. Yeah, I mean, it, I think they really have an opportunity to make a really, you know, win a lot of trophies this year. They have all the players back, but, you know, it's going to be difficult. You know, they're, they're going to be the ones that are hunted and, you know— it, I think though from the ownership, if the, if anything happens or somebody gets hurt for a long you know amount of time, I think they can you know go out and get somebody to replace them. But I mean, they had everyone in place uh, to make a deep run in, in, in all these tournaments, you know. But but at the same time, you know, I I, I think uh, Porter's probably up for the challenge. It's something that um, you know that that he would like to do, and 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 I think. Uh, I just imagine them making a long run in the playoffs with all the games in the new stadium and just imagine just how rocking that new stadium, you know, will be if they, if they get a one seed and all the games are played at home. So yeah, it's there. I think it's there for them, but it's going to be a probably another long season. You, you know, you're going to probably have to deal with some stuff again um, that kind of come up out of nowhere. I and mean, we were kind of seeing this with all the leagues, even baseball and uh, you know, even hockey. So, I mean, there, there's still that challenge out there dealing with COVID. So, and you, you just never know what's going to happen in the, once the postseason starts. But I, I think they have a really good sh- shot at, at, at winning multiple trophies this year. Jacob, props to ownership and management. They kept the core intact, a very good core that won a cup, and they, and they padded the roster in preparation for, one, competing in Champions League, and, and two, uh, having something to sell when that when that new stadium opens uh, your, your thoughts on, on this on this thing 
Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that if they are fortunate to get out of the first two rounds of CONCACAF Champions League, the next, what would that be the quarterfinals or semi? I think it'd be the semifinals after that. Don't happen until after, is it either August or September? I don't have the schedule in front of me, but once the sec- the secondary transfer window gets rolling, so they could certainly add. I expect them to make some type of splash in the summer. I have no idea what that is, but just the way they kind of have tossed up the the formation of this roster currently, I think they will be in a position to add in the summer and, and probably will need to to make a further run at, at another trophy. So if they're fortunate to get out of the first two rounds, they can add another and be even stronger going forward. But yeah, I'll, I'll just echo everything Kyle has said and, and what we have said on this podcast before is the whole building of this roster was executed very, very well. And they won a cup a year early, I would say. They were always going to add going into this year, and they just built upon strength that they already have. So uh, I guess my big question going into the year is just, will Molino, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Alex Maton, the three players I expect to play the most of the additions they got, uh, how will they do? Will they live up to expectations? I also think it it will be important to include the younger guys. I mean, you still have to get... Um, you know, Keda, Morris, and Maton, like, in, into the rotation and getting more quality, not 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 so much for this year, but just moving forward as the team kind of progresses. Uh, Aiden Morris last year is a classic example of that, Kyle. Well put. So, uh, Jacob, uh, we're going to sign off here, Kyle Robertson and, and, and I, and uh, uh, you too, uh, in a manner. Here we go. I think last time Kyle and I recorded a podcast, forgot to mention that Assistant coach Ezra Hendrickson had a pretty serious medical incident. The crew didn't disclose what that was, you know, citing private health information. But as far as I know, he's very much recovering right now and any return will be up to him. I I don't know what the medical incident was and I'm not going to speculate, but he's recovering and and all the best to him. Hopefully he gets back. As far as when Alex Matan will get to the team, I don't quite know yet. He has to go through that whole immigration process. We'll get an update around 7.30 or 8 p.m. on Wednesday night, uh, about 24 hours before the game. That's the next time we're scheduled to talk to Caleb Porter. And I put in a note to the crew to ask about that and haven't heard back. Uh, I guess one other note is that Governor Mike DeWine no longer has any specific restriction like capacity percentage or number for outdoor sporting events i'm not sure what that means for the crew but they still have to go by some six foot distancing and uh, all the other kind of health protocols including wearing masks so they'll still be limited capacity but those are the last few notes i have and uh, now here's my interview with uh, coach caleb porter caleb thanks for doing this you Began preseason, Chula Vista, you're in Orlando, final scrimmage, planned for Thursday, April 1st. Where, where do you think this group is right now, about a week from the opener in CONCACAF? Yeah, I think we're in a great spot. It's a little different year um, and cycle from the standpoint of, you know, we, we have things established. You know, there's no real surprises for the guys in terms of how we want to play and how we train and how we run our locker room and how, you know, culturally we interact with each other. So it's very comfortable. Um, Obviously the new guys, you have to get up to speed, but that's really easy when you have so many returning players and continuity. Um, So I felt like it was really key in the first 
you know, four weeks to, you know, not, not kind of do the broken record, you know, and mix things up, try a few new things, stimulate the guys. It's important that you keep seducing your players, you know, um, you know, you can't just um, continue, like I said, to be broken record. You have to make sure that you, you give them a few new things and new wrinkles and, and stimulate them and, also, just keep them on their toes a little bit. We mix more with the new guys. We felt it was important that like Bradley and Perry and Evan and you know Marlon and some of these new guys um, that they got reps with Lucas Darlington, you know some of our top guys. And you know we wanted to set the tone a little bit that anybody could play in any game. And we might mix actually. There's not just an eleven and then a second eleven. And maybe we're mixing groups based on trying to put out a, a different game plan for certain games. There'll be so much rotation this year. So, so we did that. And um, honestly, I thought we, we had some really good performances in the scrimmages. We didn't do as many scrimmages either. You know, we did like one quick 130 and 45 in Chula Vista. And then, you know, we've only had two cents and, you know, we kind of, a little bit downplayed the friendlies because ultimately wanted our training and our inner squad scrimmages and those type of things to, to be more highlighted. But uh, these last two games, um, especially the last one against Toronto is going to be key because that's a week out from, you know, Real Esteli. And the nice thing too is, you know, when you're starting the year regular season, you know, a lot of times that first game, right, it's, you got to be ready and you got to be, you know, the perfect as best you can and product. Well, we have two champions league games that, you know, we feel like we should win. Um, obviously in football, anything can happen. We have to obviously have a good performance, but you know, those two extra games are almost like preseason games um, to help get us ready for the regular season. And it is important to do well in those games, but, you know, it's it's still number one goal is the MLS Cup, um, number one goal. And But if we can get through the first round, play Monterey, win the first regular season game, we got a bye week, we'd be very happy. But, um, you know, I, I think I was very patient with the group. I didn't really – you know I, know, I know when to push and tighten the screws, and I, I really haven't done that yet. So I'll probably tighten the screws a little bit for this last game. Um, but I, I thought we we had our hands around Orlando's throats in the last game, as dominant as any game we played that I've been a part of, actually. And that was really good to see that we could just flip a switch and dominate without a lot of key guys, really. You know, we still have Artie not in. We still don't have Aloy, Luis Diaz gone, Milton, Vito. Um, you know, so, you know, we're – we're definitely missing some pieces that are key to us executing, which is another reason why, you know, we've kind of slow played it a little bit more. Um, but I'll probably have a better answer for you after the Toronto game. Um, tomorrow, we're playing five Academy kids. So it's going to be very much like a third string <laughs> um, team and going to be difficult, but it'll actually be really good for those guys. And it will be really good for, some individuals to kind of continue to show us that they deserve a look uh, with the, with the top group. Yeah. I want to look back first on, on last season, it was February in Tucson when we sat down together and 
I I recall talking then about kind of just how important that year was to set up this year of moving into new stadium, all of that. Um, Obviously it went about as good as could be expected. Uh, I know you're looking ahead, but at what point in 2020 did you really feel like this team was, was ready to go on the run? I know there were some injuries late and you got guys back late. When did you really feel like things were beginning to click and something pretty significant might happen? Um, I, we set the vision day one and I set the vision to win MLS cup day one, because I felt like on paper, we had a team that could do it. Obviously I've done it before. So I, you know, I know, I know what it takes. And I felt like with the signings that we had and the way that we ended in 2019, you know, that with, with Darlington Lucas added into that group, you know, that we'd have a very good chance. Um, but I'd say probably at the end of preseason, you know, that Houston game where we basically scored four goals in the first 20 minutes in preseason, um, you know, I would say that, that that cemented a little bit my feeling that this is going to be a very, very good season. And that never changed all year. I mean, we started obviously really well out of the gates. I think it was six or seven games unbeaten. And the only dip – that we had at all was when Darlington and Lucas were out. And so, you know, that's, it, those are kind of interesting situations because, you know, no one's as close to the team as I am. And, you know, it's a little bit like right now in preseason, like I know, I know our level. I know where we're, we're going to be when we put it together and tighten the screws. And I'm not concerned at all. Um, just like I wasn't in that period because I knew actually in the right time that those guys would come back in about three or four games before the end of the season. And we would go into that kind of last gear, um, you know, that final level that we needed to at the perfect time to peak and to go into the playoffs on an upswing. And that's exactly what happened. And winning the last five games, that's the way you want to want to script it. You want to have a little dip right before you go in. And same thing happened for me at, you know, at Portland. So you kind of learn, you learn a little bit the rhythm of, of a season and when to whip the horse, so to speak. And, you know, I've, I've had championships and then usually kind of go a little bit like that. You start strong, you maybe have a little dip at the end and then, you know, you peak right at the right time. And then you go in with momentum. If you peak too early, you you win 10 games at the end of the year, then now you got to win another five, you know? So, Five, six, seven to go. That's that's when it's time, you know, to go, and that worked out really well for us. But I never ever doubted this team and our ability, and I think we showed every single game uh, all year, except when we were missing guys that we were um, one of the top teams in the league. And I think there's no one that can say we weren't the top team because we beat the best team three zero, the most dominant game, you know, in many years in a final, and. You know, there's no way you can say we weren't the best team because we showed that at the beginning of the year and we showed at the end and we beat the best team in the final. You said last season and even 2019 were the toughest years for you in coaching and certainly to different extents. And I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I think you had mentioned to Grant Wall that you got emotional when you found out Darlington had tested positive. Uh, I just wanted to ask, what did you kind of learn about this group and, and yourself through all the challenges brought on 
from last season? I think I learned how much I love what I do. Um, I mean, it really strips away, you know, everything naked to the point where you, you really think a lot about why you do what you do. And mm-hmm. I think this last year for a lot of people, I know for me personally, it gets you just thinking about, you know, what you want out of life and what makes you happy in life. Cause you start to question, okay, in COVID, you know, life in general, and you, you start to go, well, man, I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. I don't like it, you know, or, and then you, and then you think about the opposite. Wow. I love this. This is what, this is what I love doing, you know, whether it's hobbies or whether it's your job or, so for me, there was a lot of introspection again, just in moments of like, I, I love the job and I don't don't love it, you know, for the winning or for the money. I love it because I like being around the guys and, and going in and having that camaraderie. And I think the isolation that we, we kind of had for several months brought that to life even more, you know, um, you know, that gives me every day, I think a good feeling going in, seeing the guys, training them, pushing them, guiding them, loving them, leading them, hugging them, you know, all that. That's what I love about the job. You know, I don't do it for, the money, the fame. I do it for the memories and the moments and the trophies together with those group of guys. Um, and, and it kind of just, you know, brought that to life more than ever. There are a lot of things I, I won't miss about this job when I'm done doing it. <laughs> um, but the things that I love doing and I love about the job far outweigh, you know, those things, um, you know, and so I think in any job, right, there's things you like, things you don't, but you hope that the things you like outweigh the things you don't. And you hope that the things you like are things that make you make you full and complete and to give you meaning and purpose and um, energy and a good feeling, you know, otherwise, why the hell are you doing it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and looking at this year, in addition to you and, and Tim Bezbachenko, there are a number of guys on this roster who know how tough the year after winning MLS Cup can be. And, and we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, I'm sure that'll be of great help. But going into this year, how are you balancing maybe relying on what made this team so successful last year, but also, like you had alluded to earlier, maybe adding a thing or two to make the team a little unpredictable at times? Yeah, I think there's a lot of challenges. Um you know, following up a good year in anything, really, you know, it's just a natural psychology to let your guard down. And when you push for something that you really want, then you get it. You always have this what's next. And um, now that we've gotten it, you know, what's going to motivate the the why and the what's next. So, you know, I've been through, fortunately, I've been in those situations. A lot of coaches and clubs, they're never, they're never in that situation. They're playoff teams and they never – they float in that, you know, pretty good, but not great. Um, or the not great at all, you know, mode. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to take teams to the great mode and to win, but then you have to deal with now the challenge of what's next. And, you know, I, I, I learned after winning the national championship in Akron, um, a little bit after that next year, it was a challenge. I lost, I think it was eight players 
um, seven of them in the first round. Um, so that next group was coming in and just the challenges with a new group that was different. Um, Portland was similar, a lot of turnover. I think what's different with this team is we were able to keep the core. There wasn't turnover. Um, there was a little bit of turnover, but not so much that you lose the key guys that helped you win the trophy. And so I think that as a starting point is a much better way to go about it. Um, build from the core. Don't lose guys that helped you win a trophy, but then add in guys that are going to be hungry, going to compete, keep those guys sharp, um, challenge obviously their form, um, and you know, bring energy and excitement into the locker room. So I think we've got the right balance. I think the challenge will be really the expectation. Um, every game is higher. Expectation from your supporters. Expectation from you to the players, the players to you, the front office to you, the, you know, all of it. It's it's everybody's is one and wants to win again. And I think the moment's, that are low for some reason feel lower um, and more tense after a trophy. So, you know, for me, my process is very steady. You know, that and deal with me, my players, I build them to be resilient. I build them to be steady as well. And so, you know, in my locker room with the coaches and my players, there will be a very steady hand and they're, there will be some ups and downs, and I think probably the waters will be stormier outside of our ship because of that, because for some reason fans get more, like I said, tense, um, you know, but we don't let that get into our heads. Um, so there'll still be losses. I mean, you look at the teams that have won back-to-backs, like the most recent one, LA Galaxy, I think they barely got in the playoffs. They're like the fifth seed. You know, when you look at Seattle going back-to-back finals, like um, they had really, really kind of up and down years, you know, and they just kept, like I said, a steady hand. And that's this league. I think everybody all of a sudden thinks, you know, the champion should just cruise to the next championship. And when you lose, your fans freak out, you know, and, um, think there's a problem, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's just like any other normal year. You're going to lose some games and it's nothing different. So I need to, you know, obviously just keep my head and know I've got a good team and know that again, it's going to be a journey and know that again, it's about peaking at the right time and, um, you know, not getting too high or low. So, uh, you know, again, I think the, the older you get, the more experience you get, the more, you keep your standards high, but, but also you don't, um, you don't lose your head and you don't certainly pull your sword on your, on your team at the wrong time. You do it at the right time and, and in the right way. Um, cause I do think this is a team that has the makings of a really special, consistently good and great team competing for trophies year in and year out for the next three, four years. I really think that this group can do it. So I'm going to be very steady, very calm and demanding like I always am in the right way, in a positive way, not a negative way. And when the waters are swirling and, you know, the bullets are flying, you know, I'll just continue to stay in my zone and my process and, you know, not let it bother me.
Well, and part of those expectations obviously are the milestone year of a new stadium training facility. When you add in playing in champions league, uh, all the national exposure the team is going to get the season of games on national television. I think people like myself and other media members probably think about that more, but is it fair to say that this is kind of the moment or opportunity to make this club one of the tops in MLS that you envisioned when you, when you took the job, everything is kind of right there for you this season. Yeah. I think last year we showed on the pitch that we're the top club in MLS. Um, And I think there's no one looking at our team and the players and even our game model, the way we play um, our coaching staff, you know, no one's looking at all those things and saying, yeah, this team's not worthy of, being a contender. Like everybody knows that. That's why we got Bradley. That's why we got Molino. Um, We're an experienced group. We're a talented group. And we we all know what we're doing. Um, I think this year we're getting the infrastructure in place that's in line with kind of the on the pitch. And it should, in theory, help us sustain it a little easier. Um, it's great to have the bells and whistles. It's great to have the stadium, the training ground, continue to grow, you know, our staff, our performance staff, our, our analytics staff, our scouting departments, our sports science departments, continue to grow those things um, because that's what top clubs have. And I think you need those things to sustain that success. Um, but it's great too to sometimes you get those, things first and then now the football isn't in line with your stadium or your facilities so I think the way that we've gone about it is let's build the roster let's build our game model let's get the football um, up with the best in the league and then now when these new things come that'll help us sustain it my last thing for you is you have the first game against Austin FC this year I, I guess you could call it a rivalry but it's obviously different than say FC Cincinnati, because it has nothing really to do with the team and everything to do with the relocation saga, uh, given how much fans will care about the result in games against Austin. I know you've talked about this with games against FC Cincinnati. How much will that motivate you as a coach when you head into that game, just knowing how much supporters obviously will care about anytime those two teams play each other? Yeah. I want to win every game I play. Um, You know, I'm the most competitive guy. I mean, there are competitive people around that you'll meet, but you're not going to meet one more competitive than me, Um, no one that wants to win more than me. And I've tried to build a club that way as well, where we have a bunch of serial winners, um, guys that don't accept anything less than than a win. And, And, you know, we have a group of players that feel that way, that are competitors, that are winners, that are fighters and, um, it's just in their blood. It's in their DNA. And um, that's that's what you want to create in a culture. Um, so it doesn't really matter which game we play. We want to win it. Um, the only thing I'd say is when we know that's an important game for our supporters more than ever, you know, obviously our supporters want to win every game too, but there are certain games that mean a little bit more to them. Um, obviously, I don't have the history here with some of the Austin people and the ownership and some of those things, but I don't need to, I just need to know that my supporters do. And I need to know that they want us to win that game more than ever. Um, 
you know, so for sure, I think it adds a little bit, a little bit more motivation um, for them, um, even though we want to win every game we play. All right, well, we're going to ask Patrick to kick us out of here. Patrick Flaherty, of course, our esteemed producer. He's no Chuck Nelson, but, you know, he tries hard. I'm Mike Ares. Thank you for joining us on this edition of The Speakeasy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Patrick, kick us out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.